All right, you may be seated. Psalm 40 tonight, Psalm 40. We're going to start there. We're going to look at five pictures of Christ as the rock tonight. Just five sweet pictures that really ought to uh, draw our thanksgiving from us. When we look at the Lord's table tonight, really what we're doing is we're giving thanks for Christ and the, and the, and, and the price he paid uh, for our sins. But let's look at these five pictures. Look at Psalm 40. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. Psalm 40. Verses 1 to 3. Let's pray before we start, and we'll just go from passage to passage then. All right, Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus and for the cross. And, oh, Lord, I pray now that you would take and you would bless us by helping us to see and understand all that we have because of him. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 40. First of all, we want to look at uh, the rock of salvation. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. But verse 2, therefore, is he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Now, I realize tonight, as I look out on you, some, some of you know the depths of the miry clay. Some of you know how far you've been lifted. Some of you were lifted when you were quite young. So you really don't understand uh, what you've been lifted from. But let me explain to you uh, what the miry clay is. The, the, the miry clay is that, is that muck that's sticky. It's sticky mud. And um, you find it in the foundations when you get past the, the, the soil. Soil is muddy, but you know, it's not really that sticky all the time. When you go down past the soil, you come to a layer of subsoil uh, what you, that you can build the foundations on, and that soil down there is um, it's sticky mud. And when it gets wet, it's impossible. I remember very clearly, and I think some of you were with me that night. Uh, one night, uh, we were putting in the, uh, setting the level for the concrete for the foundations of this building. And I remember being over just in that section there, uh, just beside where Kelly is sitting. It was just soil. There was nothing else. And when you're down, you know, I'm down about a foot and a half in it, trying to get a, get a level and a measure on it. It had rained that day, so there was rain in the trench. Uh, it was mucky, and it was the kind of muck that when you put your boot on it, you kind of your boot got stuck, and you almost couldn't get your boot out of it. And you were you were going from place to place, and it's just miserable. It's horrible. Now listen. That's where we were. We were in the miry clay. Listen, if you've been saved any number of years, you probably look around uh, at the people that you used to be with before you were saved, and you wonder, how did their lives go so wrong? You know, what happened is, they got caught in the miry clay, and they never got out of it. They're still plodding around in the miry clay. They're still stuck. You know, and they, 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 they move from place to place, but they never get free of it. They're caught in the miry clay because the, the truth is they, they're not capable of getting free of it. Now, do remember this. You weren't capable of getting free of it either. It's not that you're such a fabulous person that you got free. The only way to get free from the miry clay is from him to lift you out of it. And that's what he did. He lifts you out of the miry clay. You know, I look around me and I see people that are still caught in the miry clay. I look at, you know, uh, <clears throat> relations and so on. And, and the mess the last 20 years has made of their lives. It seems to have gotten worse and worse and worse for them. And I look at my life and I think, you know what? It's been different. 
It's been completely different. It's a different path. It's a different way. It's a different road altogether. They're caught in the miry clay. And I was set free from it. Now, let me, let me issue a warning here to some of you young people. You know, you've never been there. You don't know how bad it can be. And you look at it and you think it's all exaggeration. You don't want to get stuck in the miry clay. You really don't want to get stuck in the miry clay. You know, there's something, there is something so stubborn and ob- obstinate and rebellious in us that we want to experience it for ourselves, don't we? You know, you know nobody can tell us. We want to actually experience it for ourselves. Why? You, know, you think of all the guys on this side. I'm sorry for using you guys as an example, but you're a good example to use, right? <clears throat> How many, uh, nobody here, his mother said to them, when you grow up, I want you to go on drugs. That's really what I want for you. It's what I've been praying about for you all my life, right? No, no, nobody's plan. In fact, your mother said exactly the opposite to you. Your father said exactly the opposite to you. Your teacher said exactly the opposite to you. Everybody told you, don't do it. It's, it's nonsense. It's suicide. But you know what? At some stage, you had to try it for yourself, didn't you? You had to actually go down there yourself. Now, the same is true in Christianity. What happens is you get a generation that are saved, that know God, that walk with God, and then you get another generation coming up, and they say, yeah, well, I don't believe all that stuff. I want to try it for myself. And you say, why do you have to try it for yourself? Why don't you just see what's happened for somebody else? Because we're stubborn and we're rebellious. Now, let me just warn you, you don't want to go down in the miry clay. It's horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. It is dreadful. That's not where you want to go. You see, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on our rock. Jesus is the rock. He put our feet on the rock. Listen, when you're in muck or something soft and so on, to find a rock you can stand on is great because you're free of it. He set your feet on a rock. He put you in a whole different place and he established your goings. Sometimes we don't reckon on that. Sometimes we well, I got saved and you know, ever since I got saved, I've been doing the right thing. No, he didn't. Since you got saved and he established your goings, he gave you a new path, a new direction, a new way to go. He did it. You didn't do it. He did it. And you know, here's the thing. You know, the course you planned since you were saved and the life you've had aren't actually the same, are they? <clears throat> Listen, you were going one direction, even in your salvation, but he stepped in and he sent you, said you're going in a different direction. He establishes your goings. It's God that sets your feet on the rock, and it's God that establishes your goings. It's he that does the work. You can't do anything. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, and he meant nothing. There's nothing that you can do apart from him. He is the one that lifts you from the miry clay and he establishes your goings. He gives you a new way to live. I want you to notice the next verse though. Uh, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Listen, he did not save you just so you could go to heaven. Right? He saved you for his glory as well. God wants you to glorify Him. So He wants a new song in your... He wants people, you, you telling people. He wants you singing a song of praise. He wants you praising Him for the salvation that He's given you. When it comes to the Lord's table tonight, that's really what we're doing. What we're doing is, uh, we're looking at praising God for the fact that He sent Jesus to die for us. Praising God for the fact that He lifted us from the miry clay. That he set our feet upon a rock, that he, uh, set, <clears throat> that he, he, uh, established our goings, that he put a new song in our mouth. We're gonna praise him for it. We're gonna thank him for it. Because if it was not for him, 
We'd be worse than we used to be when he found us. You don't get better over the years. You get worse without him. And listen, if it wasn't for him, those of you that are saved 10, 15, 20 years, listen, you'd be no better than the people around you at that time. You'd just be exactly the same. Your life would be ruined. You'd be caught in the muck. In fact, you'd be worse in it now. Apart from him. So, first thing is, he's the rock of our salvation. Secondly, he's the rock of provision. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Let's read from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink that same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ. Right? Now catch the picture here, right? Nation of Israel, two and a half million people left Egypt. They're out in the wilderness. Right? Now... We don't understand wilderness the way they understood wilderness. You know, we think wilderness is kind of out in the country and it's cold and it's damp and there's not a, there's not a house in sight for miles. Wilderness for them meant they were out in desert lands. They were in a place where there was no water, there was no food, there was nothing. Now listen, you can't live very long without water. Two and a half million people, plus all their flocks, plus all their herds, they're all out in the wilderness. They're looking uh, for water. They're about to stone Moses. They want to turn back and go back to Egypt because they've got no water. And you know what God did? God provided them water from a rock. And by the way, it wasn't a little tap in the rock because that wouldn't have given water for two and a half million people. It wasn't even a big tap. He had a rock gush forth an abundance of water that took care of all of them. Out of a rock. He provided for them in the wilderness. He took care of their need for water, all of them. Listen, they were hungry, they needed food. Well, he provided for that too. He gave them manna. He took care of them. He gave them all that they needed. Listen. He is the rock of provision in your life. Listen, Psalm 8, verse 81, verse 16 says, there is honey from the rock. You know, not only does he provide us with basic needs, but there's honey in the rock. The Lord Jesus Christ provides honey in our lives, isn't it? The the Lord Jesus Christ provides much more than we deserve in our lives. He gives us everything that we need. Now, we need to understand that, that that's where it comes from. It comes from Him. He takes care of us. You know, we're, we're so prone to come into the place where, you know, look, <clears throat> we've got it together and we're able to move out and we're able to make things happen and, and we forget. Everything I have, He gave me. There's not a blessed thing in my life that Jesus is not responsible for. Everything I have... He gave me. He takes care of me. He provides for me, just like he provided for them. And, you know, we come to the Lord's table, and we, it's, it's easy, easy for us to think, well, this is the spiritual side of life. But listen, in the provision side of life, it's the rock that provides for us. He takes care of us. Then look at me at Matthew chapter 16. He is the rock of foundation for the church. You 
You know, I'm glad when I was born that I was born into a family. I'm glad I had a mother that fed me, looked after me, dressed me, washed me, uh, cooked for me, and took care of me. Aren't you? I'm glad I was born into a family. I'm glad I wasn't raised by wolves. I don't care how good it sounds in Rome uh, for Romulus and Remus. I'm still glad that I wasn't that I wasn't raised by wolves. I'm glad that I was raised in a family because listen, that's a good place for for children to be raised. You know, when it comes to our spiritual life, you know what God does? God provides for us a church. It's a great institution, not because of us, because of Him. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, the rock is not Peter. Peter, Peter wasn't a rock, but you know, Jesus is a rock. And the church's foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. You know, God planned all this for us. He knew the needs we were going to have. He knew the spiritual needs we were going to have. And he planned the church so that our needs would be met. And just like we have a family for for physical babies, you know what? We have a church for spiritual babies. And God planned an organization that was going to take care of us, that was going to look after us, that was going to point us in the right direction, that was going to do His business in our lives. Listen, it's a glorious thing. We We need to remember that what God did is something wonderful, and that Jesus is the foundation stone of the church. That it's built upon him. That he is the rock, the foundation for the church. Look with me at Matthew 21, though. Matthew 21, and verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures that the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner, and this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was a rejected rock. The Bible says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. They didn't want him. Lord Jesus Christ came from the Father to show his own, the Jews, the Father's way, to manifest the Father from them, to show them what they needed to know and what the hell they needed to live. But do you know what? They said, no, we don't want you. They said no so forcefully that ultimately they, they took him and they put him on a cross. Now they used Jewish hands, or Roman hands, they used a Roman cross, but you know what, they put him on the cross because they didn't want him. Can you imagine? Coming from glory where everything was perfect, where you received the worship that you were Jew because you were God. And leaving all that behind... To come down and live amongst the people that were precious to you and having them reject you, having them hate you, having them envy you and put you to the cross. 
That's easy for us to think, yeah, well, that was the Jews. The Jews hate everybody. But you know what? That was us. We'd have been there screaming for his blood with the rest of them. You see, he in his, his holiness came into our wickedness and showed it up. And we said, no, we don't want this. We want our own way. But he gave himself anyway. He poured himself out on the cross so that we could know his salvation. Listen, he was a rejected rock. And he was rejected for your sake and for my sake. And if we'd been there, we'd have been doing the rejecting too. Notice what else it says, though, in that passage, because it's helpful to us. He says, Whomsoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. When you fall on the stone, you fall on that stone when you get saved. And you have to get broken of your pride because you have to realize, I can't do it. I think the biggest obstacle to salvation is just pride. We don't want to say we need anything. We want to be in charge of our lives and think we can actually make it happen all by ourselves. And the biggest obstacle is just pride. But you know what? In order for us to be saved, we have to fall upon the rock. And it breaks us. Because the truth is, we're not the self-sufficient, in-control kind of people that we want to portray ourselves as being. We're desperately needy people. And we desperately need Him. We can't make it work by ourselves. We desperately need Him. We desperately need His hand, His power, working in our lives. We just can't do it by ourselves. We need Him. Listen, if you're not saved tonight, you need to recognize that, that you need to fall on the rock. You need to say, Lord, save me, because I can't do it myself. You say, but that's hard. I know it's hard. I've done it. Many people in this room have done it, but you know what? It's a lot easier than what happens in the rest of the verse. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Because there's coming a day when it won't be possible for you to fall on the rock anymore. There's coming a day when the rock will fall on you and will grind you to powder. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. The Bible says, Behold, now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the time for you to be saved. Listen, if you're not saved, listen, don't leave this building until you got that one squared away. Who knows what could happen when you leave here? You see, this rejected rock that allowed himself to be rejected, listen, if you fall upon him, if you identify with him, if you say, I'm trusting what he did, you can be saved. But if you won't, one day he'll fall on you. One day he'll fall on you, and you know what? It'll be too late then. Listen, today is a good day to get saved. Today is a good day to get right. You don't want him dealing with you. Finally, though, he's the rock of victory. Look at me in Daniel chapter 2. Let's go to verse 31, and we'll read Daniel interpreting the the vision for Nebuchadnezzar, right? Verse 31, he says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. 
Thou sawest till a stone was, that was cut out without hands. Now that's interesting to us, a stone that was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet uh, that, <clears throat> that were of iron and clay and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And this was the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever thy children of, the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, it shall break in pieces and bruise. That's Rome, by the way. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. That's a kingdom that's yet to come. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not, shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. You know, the Lord, God gave Daniel a vision and told him what was going to happen. Drew, drew up the kingdoms that were going to come. Pointed out his kingdom as the head of gold and the different kingdoms that were coming up. And then he told him, he said, but there's going to be a stone cut without hands. And that stone that's cut without hands is going to crush every other kingdom. There's going to be a day when that stone will take and it will destroy everything else and it, that kingdom that it sets up will rule. Will rule. You know the stone is Jesus. The rock is Jesus. Jesus was made without hands. He was made without man. He was the virgin son of his heavenly father. Jesus is the one that ultimately is going to take the world and dominate it and control it. That's what's going to happen. During the millennium, from the land of Israel, he will rule with a rod of iron from a kingdom that never is going to be broken. You see, he's the rock of victory as well. And you know what? As his child, you get to be with him. What we've got in the salvation that we've got is something precious beyond measure. What we've got is we've got the God of heaven come to dwell with us. Come to indwell us. Come to empower us. Come to enable us. Come to provide for us. Come to take care of us. Come to pay the price for our sin. We've got the God of heaven come down to work and to do in our lives. We have got it all tonight. When we come to the table, we're not going through a religious observance. When we come to the table, we're remembering. 
what he did for us. What we so desperately needed him to do for us. But we're not just remembering something in the past. He's an ever-present, living God, taking care of us day by day. We're reckoning on the reality of his hand and his power in our lives right now. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to rejoice in, in this Savior that paid the price for our sin. We have so much to be thankful for tonight as we come to the table. Let's do this now. Let's just take a few minutes and let's give thanks. Right? We're not going to ask him for anything. He's given us an abundance above, beyond anything we could think or hope for. Let's just thank him for whatever it is he puts upon your heart to thank him. Right? And, and let me encourage you. If you've never prayed in a prayer meeting before, this would be a great night for you to start. Ask the Lord, thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. If he saved you, listen, that's great grounds for thanking him. But you know what? He's done a whole lot more than save you, hasn't he? He's worked out a whole lot of things in your life. Let's just take a few minutes now and give thanks to this great Savior that gave himself for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word. And we do ask you now, Lord, would you bless in this meeting. And Lord, as we give thanks, Lord, may it be from the heart. And may it be a sweet smell that goes up to heaven. And oh, Lord, may you be pleased. May you be touched. May you be entreated by it in Jesus' name.